Why, hello there. This is Jonathan Edwards with PureAndSimpleBible.com. So thankful to have you back. We're in the middle of a mini-series from Mark chapter 5 about the woman who touched the edge of Jesus' garment and was miraculously healed. Now, there's a lot to her backstory for us to infer. We did that last week. So if you haven't listened to the first part of this, I suggest you pause it, go back and listen to part one, and then part two is going to make a lot more sense. And for those of you that have already listened, let's jump back in to a great conversation about the Bible in Mark 5 and the woman who had enough faith to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. For those who are taking notes or, you know, just wanting to scribble things down, maybe in the margins of their Bible, she had a difficult life. She had an active faith. But there's another element to this, this third out of five elements to this, this narrative. And that is talking about Jesus' healing power. So you kind of take the focus off her for a moment and put it on the Lord. And maybe that's, you know, what mm-hmm. the Bible does as well, which is why you've organized it this way. But what, what is it? that's so special or unique that you've drawn out of this gospel account about Jesus' healing power? Well, what we notice first is Mark's favorite word, straight away or immediately. And, you know, sometimes we... Why do you say that's his favorite word? Does he say it more than once? It's it's very, very... Uh, let me phrase it this way. It, it occurs many times in his okay. gospel account as he's describing the works that Jesus is performing in his ministry. And I think when you think about how urgent people were to get to Jesus, how desperate this woman was to get to Jesus, we referenced, you know, the folks trying to get to Jesus, so they, they had to cut a hole through the, the, mm-hmm. the ceiling. <laughs> people were immediately trying to get to him. Yeah. And I think that Mark captures that when he puts in these words like this. Uh, you know, this wasn't a, a slow motion type right. of thing. Immediately he says her... Uh, affliction has been cured. Immediately there is in the perfect tense which denotes a complete and permanent cure. And so you think about this woman who's been in this 12-year prison or bondage, all those things we mentioned at the beginning of this conversation. I've heard people talk about waking up from like spinal surgery Mm -hmm. where they've had discs or whatever that were pinched or whatever, and they finally get that, and they'll wake up, and even though they're on medication from the surgery, they're, they cry because mm-hmm. of the sweet relief that they already feel that yeah. no medication could remove, you know. Yeah. I've heard uh, uh, one man talked about he had lung surgery, and they removed a part of his lung, I believe, but it was also filled with fluid, and when he woke up, and he could immediately breathe again. Mm-hmm. So we have these modern, maybe not 100% parallel, but there's similar stories of like, you know whenever you're fixed. I think the closest I've ever had it was like blocked sinuses, and then suddenly <laughs> the sinus cavity opens up, and you're like, oh! Yeah. That's... Oh. But you're, you're suggesting, and the Bible ultimately is suggesting that she could feel way down inside that it's over yeah so it's like that song we sing way down deep inside you know (laughs) she felt immediately that she was 
cured of that. And you can just, you know, we're reading into it a little bit maybe, but you just picture herself and mm. just what a flood of emotion. Mm-hmm. I don't deal with chronic pain, and I'm very thankful for that, but folks that deal with chronic pain, they they know what it's like, and they can really relate well to other people that deal with chronic pain. And if they're lucky enough or fortunate enough to get a break from that, it's like they have a new lease on life. Mm. And that's that's really what I picture with this woman here. And that's Jesus' healing power. And if Mark 5, if this account of the healing of this woman stood by itself, it would be wonderful. And obviously still just as miraculous. But what we see is, is that what Jesus did for this woman, he did for lots and lots of other people as well. Remember in John 5, there was the, the paralytic who just laid at the pool of Bethesda. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he had, you know, there was, seems like there was some superstition around that once those waters started moving around, you know, that you had to be the first person in. And, and the, the belief was that maybe you'd be, be healed. Mm-hmm. Jesus goes and this man had this 38-year-long condition, and Jesus says, it's time to get up. Yeah. You know, pick up that, that mat you're on and, and get up. And, and you know, he did the same thing for lepers, mm-hmm. and what a dreaded disease that was, leprosy. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he would give those people a new lease on life, those people who uh, were demon-possessed. He would give them a new lease on life, and the blind that he would heal, and even... <laughs> The, the dead who were raised, obviously, uh, uh, they they literally had a new lease on life when, when he would perform <laughs> those works. But what we see in, in these things is that Jesus was meeting people in their worst states, and because of his healing power, immediately, as Mark would say, they've been made whole again. Mm-hmm. Have you done any study on the question, why uh, why would Jesus break the law and touch the unclean? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a it's a really neat connection. Uh, if you don't mind, I might oh, just yeah. share scripture it. and yeah. and make a comment on it. So there in Isaiah chapter six. So the whole Le- book of Leviticus and the old law is focusing on how can an unholy people come to a holy God, right? Mm-hmm. There's all these rules about, and she's dealing with, when I'm unclean, when I touch people, they become unclean. So it's like I'm contagious, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you have to separate and isolate, and that's, you know, this metaphor of sin. It separates us from God. Uh, it infects others whenever we uh, get around them and make them spiritually unclean. And so the Old Testament has this idea of of God's holiness is kind of unapproachable until you make yourself as ritually and spiritually as pure as as possible, and then even there's still kind of the separation. But in Isaiah chapter six, you know, when Isaiah is brought before the throne of God, and it's that you know, here I am, send me, and he goes and he's going to prophesy. But the first thing he says, and this is the Jonathan Edwards translation, is uh, I am about to die. I'm a man of unclean lips, uh, and I'm from an unclean people, and here I am before the presence of the Lord. And this angelic being takes this tong, you know that? He takes Mm -hmm. the tong with the the hot coal and touches his lips, Mm -hmm. and he says, you are now purified. You're now made clean. And what's interesting is it it 
it reverses what happens. Here's the unclean, but instead of whenever the the holy, you know, coal touches it, the coal doesn't become unclean, and then the angels infected, and then heavens infected. Right. It goes in reverse. Suddenly, the holiness is now pushing out the uncleanness. Yeah. And so the idea there, at least this is how I interpret and study, is that Jesus never broke the law. Right. He was holy, mm-hmm. and he's kind of that living coal in that it's almost like as the the hand of the leper touches him you could see kind of the the glow of jesus almost already infusing him with cleanness yeah so the holiness is more contagious than the unclean right right jesus touched the the widow of nain mm-hmm. when she's coming out with he touches the casket of the dead body. That's totally against yeah. the law. Yeah. But the reason is he doesn't touch a dead body's basket. He touches a basket with a living body in it because here comes life and mm-hmm. life conquers death instead of the uncleanness infecting the yeah. life. So you know, even with this woman, it's like she didn't make his the hem of his garment unclean. Right. He had so much power that even his hem... Like it infuses her with cleanness. Yeah, I I have actually, not in those words, but I've thought that same thing, that maybe this woman was aware of, of some of those Old Testament principles, and maybe she was totally convinced he was the Messiah, and she said, I'm unclean, but he's holy and righteous, and and my disease, however contagious it is, or maybe it isn't, uh, it doesn't compare to the holiness that his touch imparts. Mm-hmm. So. Well, you've got, uh, let's see, difficult life, active faith, Jesus healing power. But really, you spend more time on this next point than you do on his healing power. And I'm, maybe I'll just ask, I'm, I'm curious why Jesus' healing power only gets uh, three bullet points. <laughs> But then Jesus' kindness gets like almost 10 bullet points. That's a good question. And what's interesting about Mark's account, when we think about Mark's gospel account, we tend to think of it as the briefer version, right. maybe the Cliff Notes version. Uh-huh. But when it comes to this story, I tend to think that Mark has the richest account of this particular mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe perhaps that's because he really pauses right here. Mm-hmm. And he kind of zooms in on this situation and and spends for him a decent bit of time fleshing out how is Jesus going to respond how will this woman be received and what does all of this mean what's going to come of this situation mm-hmm. and so Jesus after he's been touched he's aware the bible says that power had gone out of him mm. and obviously Jesus is this all-knowing you know Messiah, he's he's deity. He knows who touched him, and and he knows everything that's happened. But this is a teaching moment for him. Yeah, uh, the apostles are watching. Everybody who's following him around is watching, and so he asks. You know, he turns around and he asks, "Who touched me?" Mm. And his apostles are perplexed. Like, how can you ask this question? Yeah. There are so many people around you, thronging you. They say, and you can just kind of picture maybe everybody's trying to get a hand on oh yeah and they say how can you ask who touched me 
they probably thought a better question is, who hasn't touched you? (laughs) (laughs) But of course, Jesus had in mind a special touch, a touch of faith, a touch where a woman was made whole again. And, And so verse 32 says that Jesus looked around to see who had done this thing. And the the verb tense therefore looked denotes this idea that Jesus kept on looking around. It wasn't a one-time glance, but he looks back at that crowd and he's just kind of, as we would say, surveying the crowd. I kind of picture him scanning the crowd, looking for who had done this thing. So this like motley crew of of people that's kind of moving, he stops it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that actually kind of changes the way I viewed this because mm-hmm. I've almost seen kind of like a chaotic scene, but he's going to calm everything down, and now this mob is just kind of awkwardly standing because they're probably all ashamed, thinking, oh, I don't want to be the one that has to say I touched him. <laughs> I don't want to get called out in front of the group. Yeah, that's how I picture it in my mind as well. He stops, and everybody else stops too, mm. and I kind of picture it getting quiet Yeah, because that's... I think that's what would have had to have happened for this woman to come forward. Is it almost, We I, I suppose we can't know. I hate speculating too much, but it almost seems like a parent's question. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I know we'll, we'll get down to the idea of him calling her daughter in a, in a minute, but it's like whenever my kids have done something, whose job was it to do the dishes? <laughs> and it's like deathly quiet yeah. in the living room. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then suddenly there's a meek little voice, mine, you know, <laughs> and I'm, I'm wondering if at least from the crowd's mindset, there's that similar meekness of, oh, I don't want to be the one to, yeah. that's being called out by the master. Well, I think that's a fitting parallel because everybody was aware of his power, of his authority. And I would say that the person in that situation who was, you know, the most aware of his power and authority was that woman. Mm. Because the Bible says she felt immediately within herself yeah. that she had been healed. And so you think, man, she knew right away, this is the Messiah. Mm-hmm. This man can do things that nobody else can do. And you just kind of picture everybody aware of that authority. And and with great authority comes great power. And she knows, you know, I can't, I can't hide any longer. I've got to. I've got to come and tell him what's happened. Mm -hmm. And so the Bible says that she came forward and she fell at his feet and confessed that she was the one who touched him. And so what's interesting about that, if you kind of pause here, is as we mentioned at the beginning of this study, according to old law, she was unclean. Mm. And maybe the folks around her and around Jesus at this time. Maybe they were aware of that. Maybe they weren't. But as we remember, she really wasn't supposed to touch anyone and and no one was supposed to touch her. But she probably really didn't know what to do. I, I suggest she was likely out of answers. And so she touches him. Mm. And I think it's a really important question that we ask all of ourselves. Should she have touched him? And I think if we think about it this way, what would other people have done in this situation? <laughs> that is to say, if she had touched, let's say she had touched one of the Jewish leaders of the day. Oh. Maybe she had touched a scribe or a Pharisee. Can you imagine if she touched you know, the high priest, a guy like Caiaphas or Annas? If they were aware of this condition of hers, 
and she reached out and touched them. You can only imagine the reception. Yeah. And they probably would have condemned her, ridiculed mm-hmm. her, maybe even had her punished. And mm-hmm. who knows how that would have gone for her. And so we also think of the apostles. What if she had reached out and, and touched an apostle? Mm-hmm. They were noted for lacking wisdom mm-hmm. in certain situations. And, you know, if they were aware of this condition, what would they have said to this woman? And I think you can zoom out even further and let's just put ourselves in Jerusalem and let's think about the average man walking around Jerusalem during this time. Mm-hmm. If they were aware of her condition and aware of Levitical law, which obviously they would have been, and she touched them, what would what would the average man of that day have said to her? And I submit that they would have condemned her, mocked her, ridiculed her, maybe even said something along the lines of sinner, unclean woman, who do you think you are mm-hmm. touching me? Now I'm unclean. And so if you kind of pause here at this moment, she's come before Jesus, and people are still learning about Jesus and his character. Obviously, we have the hindsight of 2020, and we know from the gospel accounts the kind of person he was, but they were still really learning about him. So I just picture this crowd just pausing and looking to Jesus and Boy, how's he going to respond to this? Mm-hmm. They probably thought, I know how I would respond. And so the question is, what would Jesus do, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he looks at her, and I would imagine he sees the, the fear in her eyes, maybe the relief in her eyes, and the just the incredible roller coaster of emotions that she's gone through. And he looks at her, and he says, daughter, daughter. Your faith has made you well. He doesn't look at her, and he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't look at her and say, Unclean woman, why did you touch me? Mm. Don't you know I'm the Messiah? Don't you know that Levitical law says you shouldn't have done what you just did? But he looks at her and he says, Daughter. Mm. And in this display of kindness and reception, She receives this warmth and this grace that for 12 years she had been robbed of Mm. because of this disease. And I would imagine that that 12-year span of of difficulty and loneliness was fully realized and, and, and made up for in this one moment where the creator of the universe looks down on her and he says, Daughter. I think this is the only time that Jesus says calls someone a daughter, right? I, I can't recall of any other time. You know, he says, whoever does the will of my mm-hmm. Father in heaven is my mother and my sister and my brother. But And in the studies I've done, so please help me if I miss something, but there's nothing that really explains other than what you've just said and and scriptures that call us children of God, there's mm-hmm. nothing that really gives reasoning for why he would say daughter than just, I guess, giving her that full welcome home, welcome yeah. back into the family. Yeah. Uh, throughout the gospel accounts, when we see Jesus commend people for their faith, you know, for instance, Zacchaeus, he, he declared that salvation had come to his house that day mm-hmm. in Luke 19. But here, it's it's so much more intimate, I think, and 
He says, daughter. And it reminds me of what John wrote in his his prologue to his gospel. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Speaking of Jesus, John writes, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so he tells her that her act of faith has made her a child of God. Um, I, I think this probably is the paramount example, as you said, because he verbalizes something to her, this, this uh, welcoming her back into the family of God. But Jesus makes a fairly common practice of touching the untouchable. Mm-hmm. And like he doesn't have to because he'll heal the centurion's servant or, you know, the soldier's son that, from a long distance. And so they'll go home and find them healed. But to me, there's almost like so spiritually you've been made whole, physically you've, made, you've been made whole. But also, I need the community to know that socially you've been made whole too. And he, mm-hmm. like when he touches a leper, yeah, yeah, and he's you know, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He says, I am willing, be clean. And he touches yeah. him, and it's almost like he has to tell everybody around them, like he he's back, she's back, and and not just kind of keep them from afar, saying, Yeah, sure, I'll heal you, but you know, there's still this social <laughs> distance between you and me. Now he's yeah. gonna reach out that right hand of fellowship, so to speak, and and literally invite them back into the camp. Yeah, I think he makes that known. And I think the other thing he's clear and careful to make known here is this was not the result of the garments he was wearing. He wasn't wearing a special type of, you know, sanctified, you know, holy, (laughs) miraculous garment here. But he says to her, it was your faith. That Wait, made you it well. wasn't the Shroud of Turin, <laughs> you know, yeah. that he'd been carrying around all that time. Right, exactly. Man. And I think it's important that he did that because mm. maybe if he hadn't said, your faith made you well, maybe people would have said, we've got to get that garment. Yeah, It's not Jesus, yeah. it's the garment. And And I think it's important for her to know, it's not my garment, it's my power matched also and, and met with mm-hmm. your faith. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, why that, that's why Mark pauses here, because there's such a huge teaching moment here, a lesson in not only Jesus' character, but also in the nature of faith and the type of faith that Jesus is looking for in those who would follow him today. Are there any connections or parallels between this and then when Peter would walk through in the book of Acts and if people touched his shadow, yeah. they would be healed? Or am I making a connection that's really not intended to be. Well, what is interesting is after this, when you get to Mark chapter 6, there toward the end in verse 56, we see that wherever Jesus would go, people sought his healing powers, and and they were desperate even just to touch the hem of his garment. And so maybe, you know, through Old Testament scriptures, they were aware that, that this is something they could do. Maybe they're aware of the story from this woman, and, and all she did was touch his garment. Mm-hmm. But it certainly does seem that that people were aware that even just touching the hem of his garment, and as you mentioned there with Peter, even just desperate to, to get a glimpse of that shadow, people were aware of the, 
the great power that that was there. Okay. Well, we've reached the what we commonly call the application yeah. phase, right? And so um, maybe as, as we start to wrap this up, what should I, you know, a Christian living 2,000 years removed from this account, what should I be thinking about and how this woman's faith uh, is something for me to either have or to build or to look at as an example, et cetera? How can I apply this to my life? Well, I think it's important to remember that she was in this bondage, this 12-year bondage that hindered her from being the person that maybe she wanted to be and needed to be. Mm -hmm. We already kind of referenced that it perhaps got in the way of temple worship and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And it's important for us to note that in our lives we also have this bondage that we have to deal with. And maybe it's not this issue of blood, but it is this bondage of sin. Mm -hmm. And it certainly hinders us from being the person that we need to be. Yeah. And it certainly hinders uh, us in a spiritual sense and, and disrupts our fellowship with with God. And, and so, like this woman had to deal with her bondage by taking it to Jesus, we also have to take care of our bondage of sin. And the way we do that is similar to this woman. We approach him in act of faith. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, the, the New Testament is clear, you know, as the church had been established on this earth, that there were conditions that Jesus set forth for people who would approach him in active faith to deal with their bondage of sin. And, and as we sometimes refer to it, as just the plan of salvation. Mm -hmm. And like this woman, a lot of us today have heard about Jesus. But what do we do about it? Yeah, and the visual I have going through my head is kind of two versions of her, the one that sees Jesus and then starts pushing through the crowd mm -hmm. and the one who lingers back and says, maybe later. Yeah. And both of them had had what we might call a, a type of faith. They both acknowledged, at least, that Jesus was capable. And when you talk about the plan of salvation and, and when we study with people that Jesus has, uh, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. One of those commands is to be baptized. Mm -hmm. And people are going to say, no, that's, that's you know... That's a work, or that's right. that's something where you're trying to earn your way into heaven. Well, for one, it's not. Uh, I don't feel like baptism would earn someone heaven. If it did, we'd go out and like, judo chop people and <laughs> dip them Throw in the water. Them in water yeah. um, but second, I see baptism is the equivalent of a woman who is now going into the crowd to Jesus, and the one who's not being baptized is the equivalent of acknowledging that he's Lord, but I'm just not going to do whatever it it takes to get mm -hmm. to him. Yeah, the the people today that that say baptism's just a work, you don't need it. You just need God's grace and he'll save you as you currently are. I wonder if they would have told this woman, "Oh, you don't need to go touch him. Mm -hmm. You can stay right there in your home. Just believe." Yeah. She probably would have said, "No, that's that's <laughs> that's certainly not what I need to do." Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, what else do we got? What other applications? Well, I think an important one, of course, there's the plan of salvation. And, and we don't want to miss that. But we also have to appreciate the humility that we need to approach Jesus with. And this okay. woman approached Jesus with this heart of humility and sincere faith, and it really culminates in her falling before his feet and confessing. And she approaches Jesus with really this empty heart that only he can fill. And sometimes, you know, that we, we think that 
I can only approach Jesus when I'm at a certain point in my maturity. We say, once I get rid of these these huge problems in my life, then I'm good enough to go to Jesus. <laughs> and what we don't understand is, no, we're, we're, we flip that around. You come to him, and as you come to him, you know, his teachings, the, the Bible that we have, it helps us with our repentant heart become the people that we need to be. And there is a, a real danger in saying, well, I need to I need to, to work on myself before I obey the gospel. Obviously, we need to have a heart that's ready to change, but if we always wait on ourselves to become a perfect person in order to approach Jesus, we'll never yeah. be able to approach him. Yeah. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary mm-hmm. and heavy laden. Not come to me once you've put those burdens down. Yeah, and get over here. Yeah, he's expecting us to come in weary and heavy laden so that he can give us his rest. And I, I think that was the very first teaching in his sermon on the mount, Matthew five and verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for mm-hmm. theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, sometimes it's tempting to look at Christianity through this lens of, you know, I have to be perfect. I have to be sinless and holy. And sometimes, obviously, we need to be striving to live holy lives, and we cannot tolerate sin in any fashion, especially a habitual type of sin that we just keep coming back to. But we also have to steer clear of the idea that Christianity is maybe only for the squeaky clean. Mm-hmm. You know, and what we learn from this story is that there really is no one who is too dirty to approach Jesus mm-hmm. and for him to save them. There's no situation that's too complicated. I mm-hmm. mean, again, Levitical law, this woman probably, maybe she shouldn't have done what she did. Yeah. I, you know, people would argue that perhaps. This situation wasn't too complicated for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we say, oh boy, my home, my home situation, it's, it's complicated. <laughs> My marriage, it's complicated. Yeah. My my relationships are complicated. I can't. No. You you come to Jesus. You don't have to be squeaky clean. And those things, as you become the, the follower of Christ and as you walk in his footsteps, that's when those things really become mended. And, you know, to take it a little bit further, there is no addiction or temptation that's too strong mm-hmm. to approach Jesus and, and to, to keep him from from saving us. Sometimes we say, well, you know, with these temptations that swirl in my head, they are too dark, and, and I can't be a Christian and deal with these temptations. And what we learn from this story is we need to approach him. There is no temptation too strong, and there's no obstacle that is too great to prevent us from coming to him, and especially to prevent him from saving us, so long as we have this heart of sincere and humble faith a repentant heart that really is interested not in one's own will, but in the will of God. The Bible is full. What you just said made me think of this. The Bible is full of superlatives to describe just how much Jesus can save. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, you, you're reminding our listeners, and thank God that it works this way, that it's not like a, I barely got saved. <laughs> Like, whoo, that was close. But like uh, the scripture that I, I just looked up was Hebrews 7, 25. Mm-hmm. 
Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. It's like the Bible goes to great lengths in, in the latter part of the New Testament, especially to just show how complete we are in Christ yeah. and how, like you said, it's not just for the squeaky clean beforehand because Paul said, this is making me think of in uh, Romans chapter 5, rarely is someone going to die for a righteous man. Yeah. For right. a good man, perhaps someone might dare to die, but this is what we know, that while we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you, you put the righteous guy on display who's kind of squeaky clean, and yeah, I don't, you know, I don't, he's kind of got it. I, I don't want to help him. Yeah. But what Jesus came to help specifically was those who couldn't help themselves. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, all of us are going to have to come to that conclusion. Sadly, there will be a lot of pride that keeps some away, but we all have to come to the conclusion, I can't do it on my own. Yeah, and the final point of application is just that. Will we be like this woman, and will we take our afflictions before him too, or will we wait for a more convenient season? Mm. Will we say, I can handle this on my own, or will we even say, you know what, I know he can help me, but I just need to wait on this. Yeah. I just need to I need some more time. I I need to work on these things and get them to a better spot and then and then I'll come to him. And so I end I guess with that question, will we take our afflictions before him too? I think that's a great question to end on. And uh so I'm going to let our listeners chew on it for a little bit. Thank you for coming in. It's been my pleasure. Will we take our afflictions before him too? What a question. And that's the one that we're going to end on. And so we want you to uh, experience Jesus Christ the way that this woman did, the way that others did in the Bible, who cast all of their cares and their afflictions on Jesus. We hope that you do as well. Thank you again to Brother Jacob for coming on the program many months ago and for the delay in production. But we're back, excited to have this series out and to start getting new series available for you to listen to as soon as possible. In the meantime, you can go to pureandsimplebible.com and check out all of the resources that are there for you to download and use absolutely free. And until next time, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. I'm willing. See you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, it's real.